Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today we are speaking again from South by Southwest, this time with filmmaker Alba Sotora Clua about her documentary, The Return, Life After ISIS. Before we get started, I have a few remarks I would like to make regarding so-called ISIS. In spite of what the propaganda may state, so-called ISIS, ISIL, IS, has never been Islamic by nature, its actions, or its values. It's rooted in murder and rape and sex slavery, all of which is expressly forbidden in the Quran. It does not represent Islam or Muslim values. ISIS, unfortunately, is a cult, like many other violent cults that have come before throughout human history. Like every cult, they target anyone who thinks differently from them, regardless of religious traditions, values. In fact, the vast majority of ISIS victims are Muslim. This is not a unique situation in terms of human behavior, nor, unfortunately, is it a new one. But I ask you to remember these things as we discuss ISIS in this episode, and just remember none of this reflects upon the beauty and diversity that is actually the world of Islam and the Muslim community in the world at large. I want to thank you for this incredible film about a story that really needs to be told and with such eloquence. And I really admire you for being able to tease out the way in which these women are being marginalized within the broader system of the world at large, as well as within the community of the camp, as well as everything that's happening within governmental systems right now. I was wondering, how did you first become attracted to this project? Yes, I, I've been shooting in Syria since 2015, huh? because my previous film, I, 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 was, I made the film about our Kurdish woman uh, commander that was fighting against ISIS. So because of that film, I followed the war against ISIS from the Kurdish front lines. And I was very aware of the threat that ISIS meant, not, 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 I mean, and not only for the people in Syria and the Kurdish women especially, but also in, in, in Western countries like in Barcelona, for example, we had attacks and in, in the whole Europe. So I was familiar with ISIS as a threat. During those years, ISIS was only the enemy. It was something that had no face, that had no names. It was just like a black force that was very dangerous and very, very threatening. But as the war advanced, and especially when the war came close to the ending, uh, there was a lot of women and kids from that they were part of ISIS in ISIS territories that started to flee from the areas that were really, really getting uh, destroyed by the war. And they were being held in camps that were controlled by this Kurdish woman. And for me, that was the first thing that drove me to, to the story, that how this Kurdish woman, who had been suffering the violence from ISIS, who had lost family, friends, who had lost their home cities, how they were able to deal with having to take care of these other women and kids. And that's my, my first intention with the film was to follow one of these experiences in, in which a Kurdish woman will be interacting with the ISIS woman, with a woman coming from ISIS territory. So I don't like to tell them ISIS woman because they are, many of them are not ISIS anymore. Yeah. And additionally, looking at her story, the story of Sevinaz Ervdike and 
her personal conflicts with helping these women of ISIS and the children of ISIS and really working with people who've been deceived by propaganda and are very vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but then also the women who would set fire to tents and really coming to terms with that idea that her father talks about of doing your duty with no feeling of revenge. I wondered how you reacted to that in the moment. To me, it was it was really amazing to to see how they were able to do that because it's not easy, especially when the the wound of the like the conflict is is so recent, no, the the, the pain and all the wounds that are still open. Uh, but on the other hand, is I understood after seeing the violence of war for, from so close that there is no other way out. Like you cannot fight the the hate with more hate. You cannot. You cannot stop the violence with more violence. You cannot kill an ideology with bombs or with weapons. You, you need to find other ways. And this way, like trying to uh, listen, trying to open a bridge of dialogue, trying to understand, trying to forgive, uh, for me are like really the key in trying to solve conflict that it's been already open for so many years in Syria. And that it's not only about Syria, it's also about how we deal with this in the West. Here is where the date opens, no? because while Sevinas and other Kurdish women are being able to approach the issue from this perspective, our Western governments are not, are not doing the same at all. No? They are just washing their hands. And I don't think that this is good for our safety, because this is not, I don't know, if we want to work for peace and we want to be safe, we need to approach the, the issue. We, we cannot look. I mean, we cannot just leave it there and and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of it is that Western society has built its justice systems around revenge and around the idea of a revenge that's ultimately not going to accomplish anything when, in fact, you're dealing with people who are, for the most part, repentant for their role in conflict and who were abused and brainwashed. And how do you confront that? Exactly. This is something that it's about changing the perspective, not from the current narrative in the West is that these women are guilty mm-hmm. of being part, taking part, not joining a terrorist organization at the, and that they are dangerous. And I, I'm just, I try with my film, I know like, of course, they have a responsibility. They are responsible, no, but maybe train, t- taking out this part of the guilt and okay, they are responsible and now they have a responsibility. But all of them, the, the, the women, of course, there are some women that they don't repent, but the woman that I met, the woman that I portrayed in the film, all of them deeply regret what they have done. And of course, acts have consequences and they are aware of it. But why not, instead of thinking that they should just stay there, first of all, because staying there, what does it mean? That is the Kurdish that have to take care of them? It's not their responsibility. I mean, the, the, they are doing it because nobody else is doing it, but... People in halting these camps are the responsibility of their countries of origin. So it's it's our governments that need to take the responsibility. And second, it's also because it it can be very practical at a security level if we talk about security. If the argument is it's not safe to bring them back, okay, let's rethink that. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe if we bring them back and we learn learn from them what was that, how these networks work, because these networks still exist. They are very dangerous. Yeah. How they operate. How, how do they work? Uh, they can also help on detecting other vulnerable women that will have the same fate if we are not uh, aware of how to protect them. No? And if this woman who had lived this experience and now understood that that's not the right path to follow, 
if they collaborate in helping other women to, I mean, in prevention, no? because at the end, this is about prevention. This is not about, it's like in, it's like in any problem. No? It's much better to prevent the problem than to try to fight it back once it's too late. So I only see positive things in having them back. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I mean, obviously, the marginalization of Muslims was part of what drove the Islamic State to become so powerful and for their propaganda to become so effective. All this post 9-11 propaganda against Muslims around the world led for that rise. And then obviously, if we continue to marginalize communities, that's only going to continue. Exactly. As you said, it's about there is a deep feeling of being... uh, I'm not sure how it is in, in the US or in Canada, but in the in Europe, there is a very, very strong feeling about, uh, among young Muslim women and men, and not like second and third generation, like they are European, they've born there, their parents also have been born here, but there is a feeling of not being part, no, of not being part of the, of, of the European community. And there is discrimination, there is a, a, a difference in, uh, you can see it in, in jobs, like w- which kind of jobs you can access to. And then all these feelings mix up with the idea, like when you have these feelings on young people who, young people are dreamers, young people are idealists, young people think they can change the world, no? So they, they, that's why they are more vulnerable to uh, this kind of propaganda that gives you very easy solutions or very easy answers to very complex problems. No, it's like yeah. and the propaganda apparatus of ISIS that was very sophisticated went into this, uh, like really uh, f- focus on this kind of feelings and 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 also on the narrative that the people in Syria needed help from the Muslim brothers all around the world and and they used a lot of a lot a lot of different methods to, to reach people but they had a, a different kind of propaganda f- for different like they they had niches for different kind of yeah. people and i find it very interesting that most of the women that you focus on within the film are women who were even also marginalized within their faith because they were either new converts or new practicers of Islam on the whole. And so they were vulnerable in another kind of way as well. Yeah, I think, I think that the fact that they were new, newly practicing or that is the, that let them fall into the propaganda more because they, they were not able to distinguish mm-hmm. what was true and what wasn't true or what yeah. was. Because they had no, they, they were believing anyone who, no, who, who will, yeah. who will just preach yeah. to them. So they, they were more, more vulnerable. And not having the background to be able to exactly out what's the truth and what's not. Exactly. And then hearing about the fact that they're expecting a happy place with Muslims being good to each other and then finding hell on earth instead. Yeah, no, this is very uh, ironic. And I guess now when they think about it, no, I, when they ask themselves, what was I thinking when I, when I took the decision? Like, I don't know. I mean, I cannot recognize myself now on that young woman. No, but uh, the expectations, it's crazy how far, the, how different they were the expectations they had from what they found. Or for instance, the idea was to find freedom, like, because they didn't feel free where they were, either because they had families that were very conservative, that would hold them inside the house, that they had, uh, they felt not free because in the society they felt that they could not be as they wanted to be. I mean, they were completely locked down as, as women. Yeah. No? They had, and yeah, you can cook and life. clean all day and not yeah. have anything else. <laughs> exactly, so exactly. That's, that's your yeah. life. I mean, and that's best case scenario. Exactly. There was a lot of violence. There were a lot of women that were basically... They were victims of, of trafficking because yeah. women were brought there to, to, to become wives 
And all of them, uh, I mean, not all of them, but many of them experienced that of being, first being um, forced to get married for the first time, being so young. They didn't know that they would be forced to get married so early. Uh, second, after husbands were fighting, so it was very normal that your husband would die. So automatically after he died, you will be forced to get married again, and then again, and then again. And this is, I mean, this is sexual abuse. This is really, I mean, these women were, were part of, I mean, they, they, were, they were abused. And I think it's important to see them also from this perspective, that they were uh, trafficked and that they were abused by an organization that uh, used propaganda to lie to them. It's so insidious in a lot of ways that on so many different levels, the media narratives have separated them from us. And mm-hmm. and watching some of these scenes of the journalists interviewing Shamima, for example, yeah. are just harrowing to me that she would be forced to go through all of these interviews with journalists who would be trying to make her look like a callous killer. Yeah, I think that some of these journalists now regret because they, the, the, these first uh, interviews had a really bad impact on Shamima's case. Another woman from the UK, white woman, that also they were 15 when they went, they were, they were brought back and that's it. I mean, and they were accepted back into the UK. But Shamima's case was different. First, because she's not white. Yep. Second, because these first interviews that were done from a very sensationalistic point of view, and they were about confronting her. Shamima says it, she expresses this herself very well when she says it's like, they, they want to blame me for all the bad doings that ISIS had done, no? for all the killings, for all the, and it's like, it's not, I mean, it's not me, no, it's not, I, I, I had nothing to do with this, which, yeah, she, she was only a kid, she was 15. So, and Shamima has been through, I mean, she's, I to me, she stayed in, I don't know how to say it in English, but she, she really paid for the wrong decisions that she took. No, she lost three kids. She lost her two best friends there. She lost a lot of years of her life. Well, well instead of being studying and being uh, in, uh, growing her, her <coughs> in, in education. And in, so I, I think she's already, I mean, she's, she's been through a lot. No, she doesn't need more punishment now. And of course, the racism inherent in how you treat the white women returning versus the brown women returning is something that's made very clear by the end of the film as well. When you see who's accepted back and who isn't and yeah, who's still yeah. fighting. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous. Then, then there are also policies like some governments have been more accepting, have been more open on the repatriation and some others are just completely against it. No, and, and it's, yeah. it's, it's cases. Now, for you in the making of this, were you feeling like you had any kind of personal conflicts that you had to sort out within? Yeah, for me, and not only, like, we were a crew, a mixed crew. Half of us, we were from Barcelona, and, and then we were working with a, a young woman from Syria, from Kurdish woman from the north of Syria. It was very difficult, especially for the Kurdish colleagues, because they, in the beginning, since our focus was the other Kurdish woman, it was okay, but they didn't want to talk with the ISIS woman. Or the first time that they uh, offered us food or drink or tea, they didn't want to accept the food from them because they said, well, it's, how can we sit with them now? And it was, for me as well, I mean, 
I've lost friends in this war also. No, I, I've seen the, the atrocities that ISIS that did on the Kurdish people. I've seen I've seen a lot of people killed by ISIS. I've seen the bodies. But slowly, it was a process for all of us. Like also for them, for the the, the, the woman in the camp, they didn't trust us in the beginning. They they thought we were like any journalist that will go there and try to uh, portray them in the worst way. But it was, they saw it was not our our intention was to be to be there and listen. And as we listen, and then as we start to meet each other and we start to uh, feel each other, then it, it all we, we all open up and, and uh, everything changed for, for, for all of us. Yeah. Did you feel like getting close to the women was something that felt authentic? Do you feel like there's going to be authentic change that happens? As a result, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, like, uh, because the, the process of the workshop is not the process of the film, it's the process of the workshop they went through. It really gave them the chance. First of all, they didn't have friends in the camp because every woman is very, like, they alone, isolated in their own tent with their own family because they are scared from each other. But then there, they started to meet each other and, and, and the moment they started to share the pain they had or the traumas they have or the, or, or the things they went through, they realized that they all went through similar things. Even the Kurdish woman and the woman coming from the West, mm-hmm. they had shared similar traumas. And this made them feel, they, I think it empowered them. First, it made them realize, no, it made them reflect on the mistakes they've done. It made them reflect on the idea that now they have to take responsibility in the sense that they should do something to help. They have to do something for the communities that they come from if they want to be accepted back. no. And I think also they, they connected more with their own emotions because they, they had detached from their own emotions for health because the, otherwise they would have gone insane. But now that they, we, we created a safe space for them to express and to talk and to cry and to hug and to touch and to laugh and to play, that I think that they, it, they connected with themselves and with the group. And this is always a growing experience. Yeah. And I love that you put this growing experience on film and shared it with the world. And <laughs> thank you. Give everyone a chance to share in that and thank you see so what, much. What wonderful works are being done by Sabinas Edrique. And thank you. And good luck at the festival. Thank you, Ari. Thank you so much. Thank you for the for the interview. Bye bye. Bye. I, I invite people to go and watch the film in South by Southwest if they have the chance. <laughs> Everyone should. Absolutely. The Return Life After ISIS. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. 
and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Thank you.